You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hey, what's up? Not a whole lot. What's going on with you? It's Thursday. It is. It feels like a Friday. I've been thinking it was Friday all day. Um, yeah, I'm going to be really disappointed when I wake up to my alarm tomorrow morning. Yeah. No, not a fan. I still have a whole ass other day of work to do. Yeah. It's, um, oh, I'm just like getting, I'm getting sad thinking about it. So let's, uh, pump up the jam. Pump up the jams. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's do some like, what are we excited for? What are you excited for this weekend? Oh, I'm getting my hair done. Nice. Yeah. Pumped. Yes. Getting breakfast with a friend. Michigan is playing Northwestern. It may go well. It may not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeehaw. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, sleeping. Mm. Uh, and then I'm going apple picking. Aw. I'm going to go. It's going to be cool this weekend, so I'm going to go for like a nice long run. Yeah. In the cemetery. And then you can wear a sweater apple picking. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's going to be great. Yep. It's going to be great. I say the cemetery that has something to do with the cool weather, and it's <laughs> not just where I run because it's like the most open space in our neighborhood. <laughs> just city things. Just city things. Um. Anyway... We're here. We're ready. We're going to talk about Teen Wolf because this is a Teen Wolf Roof podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we have kind of a fun thing that we're going to be doing. <laughs> so if you haven't seen on our social channels yet, I'm not sure if it's on Instagram yet, but it will be if it's not. Um, we, for the last six episodes of The Rewolf, last six episodes covering Teen Wolf as it was happening, um... We have a bingo board of shit that we say on this podcast. The stuff that comes up enough frequently that we can guarantee <laughs> it might get knocked off on a bingo board. And we have a little special special treatsy treats that goes along with that bingo board. Uh, yes. Would you like to do the honors of telling everyone what it is? Yes. So should we be stupid enough to say five of the things on the bingo board in a row and you get a bingo... If you were the first person to tag us with a filled out bingo card that we can verify of all the things we said, you get to pick the last ever bonus episode of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. And um, I just want to tell everybody listening that with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, I so. mean, I'm not saying that we would say no to anybody because, like, we're, we're not here to censor anyone's dreams. That's ridiculous. But, like, choose wisely. Think about how you want us to talk about, like, if you pick something that you know we're going to hate, don't get mad if we don't <laughs> like it. Which actually would be an incredibly funny experiment. Oh my god, um, yeah. Depending on how you feel about that movie. Uh, there's a couple like movie podcasts I listen to when you if you like do like pay whatever on Patreon, you can get them to watch a movie and every once in a while I'm like, I would pay fifty dollars to watch to make somebody watch this movie I hate. <laughs> oh my god, do you know what I learned today? What? A Cinderella story yes. starring Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray yeah. has a twelve percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That is <laughs> criminal 12 it is literally so good it's also a children's movie on what metric are they basing it i have no idea i did not endeavor to see like what the top critiques of it were but i'm like literally what are you talking about you clearly hate joy and also fun also retroactive oscar for jennifer coolidge i don't even care what role you pick for that oscar literally anything um that's crazy yeah well, then maybe make us talk about a Cinderella story. I'm not going to take away your bonus episode choosing abilities. You get to pick what you want, but, like, we love a Cinderella story. If you're inspired. If you're inspired. Um, So that is really exciting. I think it's going to be fun. I would love for somebody to pick something that neither of us have ever seen before. Or maybe something we've both seen before and just haven't had the excuse to talk about. Um, maybe even if you wanted to pick, like, three episodes of a TV show, we'd do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, an interesting proposition. I know yeah. there are some people out there that want us to talk about certain TV shows. I know. I, I We talk <laughs> enough about True Blood on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a dedicated yeah. episode. That's true. So. No. Here's the, how the supernatural <laughs> Rupernatural can, can still, still win. win. Um, anyway, so... We're following up last week's episode with a sort of continuated, continuated, continuation, continuation, a continued conversation, a continuation on last week's conversation, if you will. Um, And we were lucky enough to have uh, one of our amazing listeners and also longtime friend of Julia, Kelly, write in with a couple of her thoughts as a black woman watching Teen Wolf. So... It is imperative to us to give this platform and give this time because, as you guys know, we're white. Surprise. Um, and a lot of what we're going to be talking about throughout this season deals with basically, like, Teen Wolf's approximation of, like, prejudice mm-hmm. and the way that it fails. And we set up this conversation. We were hoping to hear from hear from our listeners. Um especially our listeners of color and Kelly wrote in with some really, really intelligent thoughts that we want to express and, and, and share with you just for this moment on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've written a few of them down here. Um, what kind of one of the first things that she brings up, which I think we've talked about a lot on the podcast is just Teen Wolf's real failure of dealing with female characters. Once Allison has died they all become a lot more one-dimensional and they get really great moments, but none of them really get a good character arc, which, yeah. Yeah, that would their, really idea, their idea of giving Lydia a character arc was to lock her in the crazy house, which is like, that actually doesn't get any more, like, on the nose about how women have been oppressed <laughs> yeah. over the years. Pretty much. Um, she also brings up the fact that um, they, sl- they swap one black woman, Morel, mm-hmm. uh, for another black woman, Monroe in the guidance counselor position and they're both evil well I really like Morel because I think that she was the only person to ever really challenge Scott's sort of ideas of how the universe should work and I thought that that was compelling um I wouldn't call her evil I think it's interesting that the only black character on the show who we get to know who doesn't have you know, complicated relationship with morality. Cause even Deaton gets tested at some point is Mason. And he's mm-hmm. just seen as so good. He's just and a perfect boy. He's something truly purely good as we learned in season five, which feels a little bit like, um, not approaching Mason as a whole person. Uh, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think you're right. It feels like teen wolf was like, these women are interchangeable and that is obviously not true. Yeah. Um, and we've also brought up before and, and Kelly mentioned that like there were several kind of like sassy black lady friends yeah. who make an appearance one time and never again. Yeah. That we, I remember us commenting on that as it was happening when we were doing our early episodes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think like more importantly, um, one of the points that I think is so fascinating that Kelly brought up was that this particular um, arc does absolutely nothing to take Uh, into account like Scott's character flaws and like more and more he becomes less and less of a person um I I think that that is true um I'm I I want you to elaborate further um well I I mean I think we've been saying this that Scott is not super prominent lately and 
What this does, um, instead of kind of examining the issues that have come up in season five around Scott's feeling that people have to be infallible and like all of the tension with Siles over Donovan, etc., um, what it does is it once again repositions Scott as like the moral good mm-hmm. in direct opposition to a black woman. Yeah. And I don't want to sit here and be like, black women can't be villains or, you know, whatever. But the fact that she is so one dimensional. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and doesn't have really any like backstory and nothing to connect the audience to her emotionally at all. Like you spend all of this time with Kate love her or hate her. And so you're really able to understand like how she becomes what she is uh, later on in the series. And you get all of this like backstory with Jennifer. Like there are female villains on this show who had so much room to like be dimensional people. Yeah. I will also say like a thing about Kate, a thing about Jennifer is we see people love them. Oh, very important. We see Allison love Kate. We see Derek fall for Jennifer. We know that she had this relationship with this, with the pack before Monroe comes out of nowhere. And as not a, you know, a product of radicalization or fear, she is just a sadist. And I think that that is incredibly reductive. Mm -hmm. And I also think like, and I mentioned this to you earlier at the time, this season was airing. It was really easy, especially, um, you know, to sort of casually think that the people on the other side of the political spectrum were completely irredeemable. Mm -hmm. I think that we now have way bigger problems at hand, like conspiracy theorists, people who are truly out of touch with the entire world. They are the majority, like not the majority, they are a minority, (laughs) they are a minority, a very vocal minority, a very scary minority. But I think over the last couple of years, we have developed a stronger sense of what makes people reach that point. Mm -hmm. So as much as I find those people abhorrent, I also, this is basically posing a society in which there is no reconciliation and that is incredibly dangerous. Uh. Yeah, and it really, it feels like it spins out of control. It feels like it is not an intentional narrative. I mean, like, obviously they wrote it out and they had plans for this season, but it doesn't feel thoughtful. No. Um, And kind of the last thing that I wanted to bring up from um, the message that we got from Kelly, and I think that this really sums up a lot of what we feel about other times that the show has tried to address issues of, like, race or morality or ethics um, that we've had to kind of dig into. I think this is a really excellent summation. She said that Teen Wolf as a show doesn't have the means or the vocabulary to debate ethics and morality and how it services or disservices the characters. I think that that is an incredibly smart observation. Um, I I think that, you know, (laughs) Kelly was able to sum up what we've been trying to say for like, you know, 95 episodes of a podcast Mm -hmm. in one sentence. And I I am endlessly thankful that she took the time to share her thoughts with us. Same these. We hope to hear from a lot of people over the next couple of days. This is the time where like the rewolf echo chamber really doesn't work. We need Mm -hmm. to be hearing other voices. So I, I implore our other listeners to, you know, check in with us to tell us how they're feeling what their reactions to 6b were i think 
it is only right that we establish a dialogue and thanks again to Kelly. Um, Mm -hmm. After all that, I know some of those ideas are going to come up as we further our discussion this episode, but we are going to be talking about episode uh, five of 6B and it is called Pressure Test. Uh, Yes, it was written by um, Jennifer Quinteras. I'm not 100% sure if that's how you pronounce her name. Um, And directed by Tim Andrew. Cool. It was a very Tim episode. And I actually had like kind of thoughts about the directing in this episode, which I don't generally feel like I need to jump in on just because we see the same two guys basically in rotation. But Mm -hmm. uh, that's fun. Um, Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I know it's a conversation that will make a lot of our listeners (laughs) happy. Um, So before we do that. We got to do. We got to do. The 60 second recap. recap. Unfortunately, I will be going first. But fortunately... I will not be going second. So. <laughs> yeah, really. It's just like both situations. Both situations are bad. Suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, here's the thing. If you go first, I feel like you get a little bit of a pass to suck. Um, Like a reprieve. Yeah. Because. You get like a handicap basically in going first. Um, I was using my timer for something else the other day and I was about to give you one second to sum this up. More timing for a second. Um. No, I, I was trying to like reset everything to zero oh, okay. and I mistook the second uh, button for the minute button. Got it. So You should right. have just made up something that you were timing for us. Okay. Wow. That is so How aggressive. How dare you interrupt me like that? Chicago, I love you. Please stay safe, but gosh, you're loud. My, I, <laughs> and after such a like long stretch, I feel, where we had very quiet episodes. Yes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Huh. Well, I don't know. For those oh, of you my, shush. playing right? bingo out there. Yeah. I don't think sirens are on the bingo, but Chicago is. Yeah. Why does so. that put sirens on the bingo? I don't know. I really thought you did. Actually, I'm thinking about like printing the bingo card and framing it. Well, I think that we should have a copy so that we can go through and, and make sure that any bingo submitted are correct. Because other than that, it would be the <laughs> honor system. And at that point, we're doing a lot of bonus episodes. Um, okay. So the siren is passed. Game. I'm nervous. I, I don't <laughs> feel good. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, we are we are six episodes from the end. You can do this. Okay. I believe in you. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to give you 60 seconds to recap this episode starting right now. So the- Theo and two other werewolves are being tortured. And then they like re- get out by burning the um, zip ties. And they realize that like the hunters aren't actually after any information. Uh, the sheriff finds Theo and then arrests the- him and the other two werewolves for murder. Deaton goes to Eichenhaus and pulls a tablet out of the wall after going absolutely cuckoo banana bread from the Anukate. The police At the police station, Theo is in jail. And he gets the others to confess to murder. And then he gets let go. And then at the police station like Scott is there and with like Quinn and the sheriff is like no this is not as bad as it seems and Quinn is like no one of your deputies shot me and sheriff is like oh shit then uh the um Monroe shows up and with a huge gang of people and they're like yeah give us the two werewolves because we're gonna kill them or else we're gonna storm in and then the team is trying to figure out what is the best thing to do. Meanwhile, Mason and Corey are in the library and they're trying to figure out what's happening and like they're having their whole conversation about like how do I protect you if you don't heal um Theo, no, Liam and Theo fight about what the best thing to do is because, uh, like, the, like, that's time. I, okay, do you know what the problem I, is? I really had a hard time, yeah. What was the problem? Liam and Theo. He's a really hard combination, combination of, like, sounds to articulate. I agree. Um, that's what I, trips me up every I thud, time. I, I thud. I thud of the Theo. <laughs> 
should have just said them. I have just been abbreviating it to I re- them. I re- yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I abbreviate. Um, now I can't talk at all. <laughs> I broke my mouth doing that. Okay, well, it's going to be my turn. So you have a minute to, like, fix whatever's going on over there. Um, Great. Across right. the, like, what, five feet of this table. Yes. Um. um Julia, <laughs> I wish you all the best, and I wish you so much better than me on your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Theo and two others are being tortured in a bunker just for fun from by a guy from Eichenhaus, and they escape. The others are from Shitomi's pack, and Theo's like, oh, I'm going to take you to Scott, and they electrocute that other guy to death. Uh, the sheriff catches up and arrests them all for murder. Deaton goes to Eichenhaus, and he's just, like, really terrified, but he finds, a, like, a tile with a carving. Um, Theo tricks the other two into confessing to get out of the cell, and then he goes to talk with Sheriff in the Big Pack about the murders, and um, the per- sheriff doesn't believe that one of his deputies was turned. Um, Monroe shows up at the station, and the sheriff goes out to meet her, and she's like, give me the two you have until midnight, and the big pack is like super on edge and they're trying to figure out how to leave but they can't mason and Corey are in the library looking for the cause of the fear so they decide to go to deaton's to look at the wolves um monroe wants to murder those people um and then the sheriff starts to barricade the station and someone starts like sabotaging the radios and the power get, goes out when nolan did it and he comes in and gets arrested um liam and theo have a little uh, tete-a-tete yelling in the bathroom and theo gets punched out nolan and jang used to know each other um and he decides that he's going to uh kill them with wolfsbane but liam ends up stopping him okay <laughs> you are done <sighs> i was running out of breath well i it's funny we went at the same point of the episode but you seem to remember all the other things that happened in the episode that i completely blazed over would you care to wrap it up uh sure so basically um hold on i gotta find out where i was in my i feel like i have to you know put my reading glasses on for this um so mason Corey. uh are in the clinic and Deaton shows up and he's like I don't really know what's going on with the tablet and Corey's like well I can see the other half of it maybe I can help you out um they find out the big pack finds out that Tierney and Jang have blue eyes because they went after the hunters um who killed Satomi and like killed them in their homes in cold blood basically um the sheriff and Scott are like war is coming um they put Nolan in another room and the guard in their tries and succeeds and kills himself and so does another one um because the anukate is there amplifying everybody's fear um scott has a plan he uses those two dead deputies to pretend that they are jang and tyranny um Corey's power does see the whole tablet and dean is like oh look it's the anukate and we have to prevent the two halves from reuniting um monroe is like i'm not fooled by these dead people because they're clearly not teenagers but Raphael is back baby yeah Raphael. <laughs> um he arrests the two of them and they let nolan go which is how they kind of um get out of this standoff all of the supernaturals decide that they're going to leave beacon hills um it's part of the deal yeah 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 um and mason is like super sad about it um but he gets a little secret note um in math class and uh he heads over to the animal clinic because the whole pack stay behind because they're gonna fight but the fbi guy is not to be trusted and he kills jang and tyranny yep man on the inside Dun, dun, dun. Um, I, I, this is, I'm just saying this because it's very fresh on the mind because I've been re-watching House. Mm-hmm. Um, but spoiler alert for the finale of House. Like, <laughs> House fakes his death and doesn't tell Wilson he's faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, at his funeral, like, Wilson is being like, House is an asshole and, like, it left me to die by myself and then gets a text message. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens with Corey and, and Mason. You up? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty no, much. it says shut up. <laughs>
That's very funny. Yeah. Th- there were um, a lot of people who came back in this episode, and I was feeling um, like that picture of Leonardo DiCaprio that's just like pointing. Yeah. Like, it's Raphael. It's Deaton. Yeah. It's, yeah. So I was happy to see them all. Yeah. Well, we've been like, where the hell is Raphael this entire time? Because the second I feel like this type of civil unrest happens. Literally, where was Raphael for all of season five? Yes. Literally yeah. all of it. I don't yeah, understand. Literally. Jesus. The mass murder. Yeah. The mass murder. Yep. I don't know. Is it the FBI at that point? Is there another task force that I don't actually don't tell me? I don't want to know. Yeah. I, I will. <laughs> then I'll Google something about them and find out something horrific about American history. And I have a lot to think about. Yeah. So um, not that there's not room constantly for more shit. That's true. Um, anyway, so we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of patience. This whole episode is kind of a standoff. Um, Siren 2. I don't know if that's picking up on the mics, but we got another one, baby. Um, this whole, you know, episode is a standoff. It is about a waiting game. It's exceptionally tense. I will say, like, generally I am not, like, a stress TV watcher. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there are people who really are into, like, the high intensity, like, really stressful shows. 24. Stuff like that. I'm not a person who... Oh my gosh! What... What is happening? You know, there was a certain point in uh, our podcasting journey where we could have decided to, like, pause and cut out Sirens. No, it's, now it's part of the gig. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's our brand. I guess... The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I generally don't seek those shows out. So what I will say is I'm highly complimentary of the way that tension was managed in this episode. Mm-hmm. It is not something I seek out or enjoy in shows. This, that is a purely subjective observation that I was like, I don't like this. I'm uncomfy. I wouldn't say that I seek it out either. Um, but I don't think that I'm distressed by those kinds of things. Um, I, I will say that all of the patience kind of comes to not a very interesting um, climax at the end. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. Yep. Um, where would you like to start in our discussion on patience? Um, <clears throat> there's just like so, so many. Um, I kind of want to talk about the sheriff. Okay. And Parrish. Because they, well, in Parrish, like, they go hand in hand. But the sheriff, because um, Monroe has showed up outside of his station, Mm -hmm. he is automatically in charge of, like, a hostage situation. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously the sheriff has a jurisdiction over the county and has a duty to the county. But, like, this is, like, defending his homestead. Yeah. All of the people that he cares about, minus his son, are there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he also clearly, and we get a real sense of this at the end when Raphael shows up and we realize that the sheriff is the one who called him. Why? Scott, I know you have daddy issues. Underexplored, if you ask me. I think that would have been a good part of character development. Mm -hmm. But why did you not call your dad? Um, quite frankly, I think that Raphael just sticks his nose in a little too far into some things. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe that's why. But the sheriff mostly is playing a waiting game until he gets there because he's not 100% sure that he will but if he does that's kind of like his saving grace and he is doing everything he possibly can to keep everybody in there calm collected alive until that happens yeah 
It's yeah. very impressive. Uh, until it isn't. Yeah, well, I think, like, in dangerous situations, um, often, like, the biggest battle for some people is trying to keep the people they're in charge of calm. Mm-hmm. And there is no doing that in this situation because the Anukate is there. Um, and so the sheriff, like, this must take every ounce of his power to not act rashly when every single other person around him is trying to, including Scott. Yeah, well, this is something that we've seen a lot with his character ever since um, kind of being roped into the world of the supernatural is, like, where does he fit in in his law enforcement role, but also being aware of the supernatural. Like, he has these two werewolves from Satomi's pack, and his automatic response is, like, I need to hold them accountable for what they did Mm -hmm. when Scott is trying to convince him that they're going to die if they stay there. Like it is a constant push and pull that we've seen with him of like where kind of like, where does he begin? Yeah. Um, Like where does his job begin to like the, to Beacon Hills and like, where does his responsibility to the supernaturals of Beacon Hills? Like how do they intersect? Um, Yeah. I mean like in a world where like, cops aren't horrific can't think about it too hard yeah i'm not i I don't need to talk about this but like in a world where somebody's duty is to protect the like the people of their city or their town or whatever Mm -hmm. the sheriff isn't supposed to have biases towards who gets protected Mm -hmm. and this brings a serious um challenge to that it's a conflict of interest yeah because he obviously has no interest in handing over two teenagers to an angry mob, but like is somebody who believes in a justice style wherein they need to be punished for their crimes. So, um, yeah, he is exhibiting tremendous patience of like trying to figure out, um, how to keep them safe and hold them accountable. And Parrish is also doing something very similar. Yeah. I think Parrish over the past little bit, like, Parrish has very clearly taken the second in the command in command at the police station. Oh, he's, yeah, right hand. Yeah. And so when Sheriff, like, the Sheriff walks out to go bargain and negotiate with Monroe, he basically is like, uh, Kirk, you're the captain now. Yeah. Which is scary. And Parrish is just as affected by the fears as everybody also has a... Oh, far more even personal interest in protecting the supernatural as somebody who actually is supernatural and is in charge of keeping everybody who has long suspected that he is not as he appears assured of his safety and goodness Mm -hmm. which is really trying like at one point you just want to fucking scream and be like what are you guys talking about you know why please stay calm but like when they're fighting an uphill battle like this is really like a Sisyphusian deal mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter how much you try to make them calm the Anukate is always rolling that boulder back down the hill yeah um and it really feels like the entire situation is just a powder keg that if you are not patient and you don't take your time and you don't try to work it through it will explode and there is literally a flash grenade yes that gets thrown around so it's quite literal um but they are like doing everything in their power to keep everybody happy and not just the people on the inside of the sheriff station, but like Monroe and her groupies outside. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's move out of the sheriff station real quick. I want to talk about Mason and Deaton and Corey. 
the only people who are actually doing something um well they're the only ones who have the capability of actually doing anything everybody else is trapped is stuck yeah and there's they we know that the, the they've got cell scrambler so it's not like they can be alerted to the situation um but what's really interesting to me is that like in terms of talking about Mason and Corey, their patience lies in the fact that they cannot take action. Mm-hmm. Mason can't fight. Corey's thing is being invisible, which is very cool and very interesting of him, but like also is not a fighter. Can heal, but not as fast as the werewolves. Although I don't know that last <laughs> pen stabby <laughs> deal really challenged my beliefs on that one. But they kind of have this conversation where it's like they're... <laughs> responsibility is to figure out what's going on because they can't address it. So their job is to do the research, Mm -hmm. which is, would be incredibly frustrating and would deeply try your patience. If you feel like you have to be sidelined in that way, if your only way of being helpful is, and like, it's not like studying or whatever is inactivity, but is trying and waiting to figure something out. I agree. And um, on top of that, like researching in general requires a tremendous amount of patience. Yeah. And they kind of um, mention this, that like Deaton has also been trying to figure all of this stuff out. And I really wish that we had had some scenes of that. I know. Um, But Deaton, I think by far is like the most patient character on the show totally um and the most resilient i think patience and resilience kind of go hand in hand um oh i agree with that and they like eventually are the ones who figure out like exactly what they're dealing with because they like have been plodding along and once they like finally have enough to sort of take action that leads them to the answer um totally agree i also think when we talk about like how resilient Deaton is and this is a combination of resilience and patience to be in the room where that tablet is that just like shows the Anukate is unbearable that people only last 30 seconds it is an extreme test of his endurance of his patience of his you know um mental fortitude mental fortitude but also like his desire to do this and like do good mm-hmm. and it is really trying to watch him do that because there's nothing affecting him but his own fear. And it is incredible that Deaton is a willing and able to subject himself to that stuff for ultimately giving himself more homework, another challenge. And I think that that is really interesting. I so think that Deaton is such an underutilized character. Criminally. It, every time he shows up, like in the first couple of seasons, he is maddening because he clearly knows more than he's letting on but the fact that he doesn't get to continue to be like an active participant and a resource because he was set up to be the emissary for scott's pack which implies a large amount of responsibility yeah um he is the giles he's the bobby like yeah he is their 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 old man keeper of knowledge yeah (laughs) which is what you know a lot most teen shows that deal with the supernatural or even supernatural have yes yeah um i'm i miss him when he's not around um i would rather be frustrated by him and then him have like be able to impart this knowledge later because he finds it strategic because mm-hmm. it's as frustrated as i am with deaton it's set up to believe that he only withholds knowledge until he because he thinks he has a reason i you're right he is set up to be the emissary from what we understand in season three even though they completely ditched most of that plot line 
emissaries are a massive part of pass pack dynamic where the hell does he go well and i think that speaks a lot and probably unintentionally because i don't think the writers were thinking about this Mm -hmm. but you know talking about how scott just has this ego the size of the sun um in terms of thinking that he knows exactly what needs to be done with his own pack and that he doesn't need to turn to deaton i will also say scott's character regression happens at the same time that deaton stops being a main feature on the show Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he also disappears for a large part of like five um, on purpose, like to yeah. go away somewhere and it's mentioned, but like it just doesn't seem justified no. to me. I agree. Um, but yes, I think it's really, it's really great to sort of set, to remind us of the power that the, the powerless have because we don't have styles. Knowledge is power. Yeah. And I think their patience is all well demonstrated. Um Let's chitty chat about the big pack. Look, Leah <laughs> is losing it. Um, yeah, I think she's tired that people are not listening to her. Yeah, um, believe women. B- believe women. B- Malia is right. List, like just in general. Yeah, Malia is right. <laughs> when um they're trying to figure when like the sheriff says something about Quinn being like not having her details straight, and someone's like, "Well, she does have a hole in her head," and Malia laughs, <laughs> and nobody else laughs. I was like, "No, that was funny. You're right." Um, it was funny. It's also especially funny coming from Lydia. Yeah, who also had a hole in her head. I know. Um, yeah, Malia. I think if she were given more to do, she probably could be more helpful. Um, well, it's interesting because it seems that everybody, nobody really has the patience to approach Malia's like suffering in this. They also don't really have the time, but nobody tries to redirect that energy. To something constructive? Yeah. Yeah. And Scott, who is like, you know, having to deal with this like huge moral quandary of sometimes you have to kill people i guess i guess which is like i really did not like the descriptor that like anything goes in war because that's literally not true that's why we have the geneva convention (laughs) um but like the sheriff being like and because i think it's interesting that the sheriff says this is scott like you it is i you know it is great that you don't want to take life that is awesome but like that's not always the reality of these situations especially since we had the conversation with Raphael in seasons previous Mm -hmm. where like somebody is trying to like reframe Scott's sense of reality and while that is happening he is sort of leaving his pack to like fend for themselves yeah pretty much yeah once again Scott is just trying to save everybody Mm -hmm. uh, to the detriment of his like closest friends and his pack yeah to the detriment of his pack yeah i will say i think scott like demonstrates very little patience in this episode he seems to be really wishy-washy in what he wants to do because he's so upset by like what's happening he really changes his tune the second he finds out that he can't just like defend um jang and tyranny tyranny forgot um tyranny tyranny Mm mm-hmm not tyranny yeah. that's a whole other thing tyranny tyranny uh tyranny outright because they do have red on their ledger it's really interesting scott so desperately needs everyone around him to be good to justify protecting them and that is like 
fucked up yeah it's insane and it also shows that he has very little patience for other people and scott is supposed to be like this great leader and that does not reflect leadership skills and i think part of that does have to do with the anukate part of it has to do with the downfall of his character development but in a pressure situation like what we're watching right now scott does not have patience and that is really interesting he doesn't have the patience to take care of malia he doesn't talk to lydia at all in this episode yeah which is she should be his right hand yeah. Um, now that Styles is gone and the fact that he doesn't think to confer with her or use her, um, I, like it's really hard to sit here and be like, this is so out of character for Scott. I mean, it isn't really because like we've seen him regress, but like how much of this is the Anukate? Mm-hmm. Because the Scott that I remember fondly knows how to play the long game. Yeah. Um, and he clearly... I think part of the problem of with his lack of patience is that he does not see a clear answer and a clear way out. Yeah. And doesn't have like the reasoning skills of a Styles type to, you know, help guide him through that. But Scott clearly does know how to play the long game. In fact, tricking his dad into thinking he's leaving is part of that. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have it in that station, which tells me that it is both situational and supernaturally induced. Um, Lydia is... I don't understand why Lydia doesn't use her powers more in this episode. Um, yeah, I have that same question about Parrish. Like, the Anukate is literally in the station. The last time we saw it, he set himself on fire. And I understand that, like, maybe that's not the move here. But no. he doesn't even, like, realize that it's in the building. Yeah. And Lydia doesn't realize that, like, those two guards are going to die. Mm-hmm. She doesn't predict. Dick. She Dick, is yeah. a harbinger of death. Well, she hasn't doing been doing banshee shit like that for like two seasons now. It's really frustrating. Her powers are so ill-defined. Um, ill-defined, and I'm almost 100% certain that if we asked someone, the excuse would be, well, uh, that guy drilled a hole in her head. Yeah. But, you know, even that after that. That was stupid too, so. <laughs> but in 6A, like, she was so confident yeah in her powers mm-hmm. in trying to get styles back and with dealing with the wild hunt and the fact that she cannot seem to use them in this scenario mm-hmm. where like i think part of being a banshee is being attuned to like the the deepest worst feelings of being a human i agree and she can't sense that in the building yeah i i mean it might be an overwhelming it might be too, she might not be able to filter anything out, but I would love if they told us that and I wasn't just extrapolating enough to give you a good idea. Yeah, I, um, that really, that concept really frustrates me because the idea is that like, oh, you're stupid for not figuring that out. Um, and granted, I don't always want to be told things. Like a lot of this episode felt really repetitive to me. I'm like, we did this, we got through it. We know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, spend that time telling me other things I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Before we get into everyone's favorite conversation, let's talk about the hunters. Where who who do you want to start with? Monroe, I guess. Her patience is um anybody who thinks they have the upper hand is going to have patience. Oh yeah, because she thinks that she's going to get exactly what she wants either way. Yep, yeah. Either she gets those two handed to her on a plate. Or they break into the sheriff's station and they have a lot of automatic weapons. Yeah. I would actually love to ask Jeff Davis if he would have written this season 
this way this ep- had had you know gone through and approved this episode this way knowing how the tail end of 2020 beginning of 2021 played out um I mean I don't I can't speak for him my answer would be no yeah I'm well my answer would be like yes I've, of course I would go back and change it yeah. no I would not write the same plot um it's so unnerving it's so upsetting and what i said this to you like this is a something that plays very specifically on an american fear sensibility i can't speak for other countries but when i see like a group of faceless people with assault like weapons thank the lord i have never been in a situation where like a shooting has happened but i there's we are inundated as Americans, yeah. we are inundated with that news and that media. And we have been, I mean, for me, like my first real memory of that happening was, oh my God, I can't even, I can't even remember. There have been so many. Yeah. Virginia, Virginia Tech. Virginia, yeah. yeah. I, I knew because we had this conversation. Mm-hmm. But what I think is really upsetting to me is that the season doesn't necessarily play on American fears. It exploits American trauma. I would agree. Um... Um, and I, I think that's why it, it is so viscerally uncomfortable and not in a way that is thought provoking. No, it doesn't challenge me, nor does it compel me to think other ways about things. In fact, it sort of reduces my feelings to their most base level. And that is a huge reason as to why I'm so frustrated and uncomfortable. But as it, in terms of Monroe... She's not that patient because she does send Nolan in to kill those kids. Yes. And she has Gabe. Gabe. Yeah. Gabe shoot that arrow with Brett's bloody jersey on it. Very Zodiac killer, actually. Disgusting. It also looked like a piece of paper and not a jersey. jersey, Yeah. Um, Has shoot into there and I mean it's really interesting to consider whether or not she um expected Nolan to succeed mm-hmm. it kind of I kind of assumed she didn't um yeah I think she didn't I think we kind of get that at the end of the, the episode but what's interesting to me is that Monroe obviously has the upper hand in patience because she thinks that she this is a, a scenario she can't lose but she also uh knows like if she rattles the patience of the people on the inside, this could end a lot faster for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when people are like, um, if I'm on a camping trip with my buddy and I see a bear, I don't need to outrun the bear. I need to outrun my friend. <laughs> I have never heard that. That oh. is, uh, I'm going to hang on to that. Yeah. That idea. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. She doesn't need to outrun the bear. She needs to outrun the sheriff. Yeah. And she um, has, a lot of help on the inside that she doesn't even know about. Yeah. With the Anukate. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, you know, I don't love to see it. Honestly, <laughs> it's just frustrating, but I think in terms of patience, it's a really, inter- it's just a, like I said, the tension of this episode is like masterfully created. I just don't like it, uh, but it's an excellent game of cat and mouse. It's a standoff. Shall we talk about Liam and Theo? Theom. Theom? Yeah. Theom and Leo? Theom and Leo. Um, When we sat down to watch this episode, we were like, oh, thank God Theo is here. He showed up. Like, legit just him being a sassy mouth, like, 
snooty booty mm-hmm. <laughs> at the beginning. I was like, one. Peter Jr. Peter Jr. Especially because Peter is always the person who's hooked up to, like, <laughs> to, the, um, to be electrocuted. Yeah. Normally, sure. normally it's Peter who has to participate in the wet t-shirt contest. Today it is Theo. <laughs> we don't mind. They literally dump water in him. He's wearing a white shirt. I know what Teen Wolf was doing. <laughs> They saw it. They saw what happened when they put Dylan O'Brien in a wet t-shirt. True. And he was wearing a black shirt. Um, but wow. Yeah. The, the broke the internet, so to speak. <laughs> broke the internet. Um, really interesting to me that Theo now assumes that because him and Liam have shared this life or death situation, the last people on earth to like deal that uh, one, Liam is going to be more likely to side with him, and two, that Liam is going to have developed a patience for him that he 108% has not. Uh, it is incredibly funny to watch, and also kind of an interesting continuation of what we know about Theo, in that he was, like, very patient in season five of, like, biding his time and gathering his little pack and, like, trying to weave his way into Scott McCall's heart. Um, well, I think that Theo has completely given up dreams of power. He's just kind of like, this is a, I just want to be alive, please, sir. Oh, sure. And he's like, Liam, please help me be alive. And Liam is like, well, I have other people to help be alive. Um, yeah, but I think he, I think he, uh, I'm not going to say that he knows, but he hopes that if he continues to exhibit patience with Liam, Mm -hmm. but he he will get there. Well, he does, he does it first. And then when he drags him into the bathroom, his first tactic is sort of like, hey, like he appealed. It's like, this is like his first tactic is logic. He's like, mm-hmm. well, we if we know this about these guys, like we have to start working for ourselves. And then he immediately goes to the throat because he sees that one, he loses patience trying to get Liam on his side quite quickly and sees that Liam is losing patience with him. And he goes, you think that if you save these guys, you saved Brett and Lori, but guess what? You didn't. They're still dead. And I think that that is a really interesting observation of Liam's character and Liam's complex with guilt because I think Liam's primary, like, uh, self-doubt, like, manifests in guilt and, like, people he couldn't save or people he hurt. I think we see that after he almost kills Scott mm-hmm. at the hands of Theo. Um which is funny because this all just tells me that Theo has been watching Liam and reading him for filth for, like, two seasons. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. That's like one of his his um skills. And as, you know, I think as far as like char- interpersonal character dynamics goes, I would have actually loved to see the conversation that Scott had with the sheriff, actually had with his dad, but I thought that that was interesting. Mhm. And then nobody else in this episode really got time to like like have uh, an interaction with a person that felt personal. So that's why the scene really stands out. Except for the scene where Nolan realizes that him and Jang know each other and mm-hmm. now he's a werewolf. Or probably was always a werewolf. Yeah, he's like, I'm still human. Yeah. That kind of that's kind of what that feels like to me. Yeah. It's interesting that we're finally sowing the seeds of doubt, though, in regards to that particular scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he seems very confused, Mr. Nolan. Um Yeah, but Liam, I think is kind of on a similar um plane of existence as Scott in this episode because he's kind of trying to take his cues from him yeah but Scott Um, is so all over the place yeah which makes it incredibly difficult um and he I think part of like 
trying to be the leader of the pack is like you know he has to exhibit this patience mm-hmm. and like find the right answer but uh theo is pushing on every goddamn button he has yeah and liam pushes the button of punching him in the face um which is great because i love when characters who need to get punched in the face get punched, get punched in the face someone needs it's to so, punch nolan in the face so cathartic yeah i would have liked to watch him punch theo that like that earlier maybe once it can a season. happen it can happen more than once yeah <laughs> once a season one good you know right yeah hook. um and there, there is the fantastic moment that has nothing to do with patience, but is um, the moment that I have seen every time I have opened the internet looking for 6B stuff, which is when they're all preparing to go, and Theo is like, fine, I fucking guess, and flashes his claws at everybody. A true Isaac Leahy moment. They are all serving Isaac. And they didn't even know, because he didn't even know Isaac. Okay, I really just want Isaac to come back and meet all of these people that Scott has picked up and be like, <laughs> you guys are all mean idiots. Stupid. Yeah. Stupid. At least Isaac it was a nice idiot. Um, yeah, not saying that he's um any a brighter a bulb, but no. um Okay. Let's move into Q's and O's. Let's do you do have it. any questions? I do not. No, I don't either. I'm just actually like so like ti- made tired by this season that I don't want to investigate further. Not that I ever have questions, but mm-hmm. share me your observations, Julia. All right. So here's the thing. Yeah. I feel like I've run through most of them oh, okay. throughout this episode. Um, the one thing that I do want to say about Liam and Theo is that this feels very much to me like enemies to lovers. There is so you can let that much tension. You can let that talk out in the Twitter DMs, in the reply tweets. And That's the just my observ. It's just my opinion. Actually, Julia runs the Instagram. I run the Twitter. Yeah, Julia runs the Instagram. If you have those thoughts, go DM the Instagram. You can just tell me that you agree with me. Yeah, or just DM her on Twitter. Um. Anyway, it's not that I don't see it. I just am not. Le- I'm just less sold. Uh, I think the dynamic is certainly compelling in the way that like there are a few other compelling dynamics in this season. I agree. Um, I also just I I really feel like a lot of the discussion about the Anugate feels really repetitive. Like we get it. People are afraid. Yeah. Move on. I will also say. Teen Wolf, like, I don't want to have to keep hashing this discussion, but Teen Wolf is like, we will take native culture and make it our plot line. Oh, we can talk about that some more on a future episode, for sure. For sure. It's just sort of like, I think I might have, I don't remember where I heard this, but basically, like, if there's no native people in your writer's room, don't include native culture in your show. Yeah, like, uh... I saw this on Twitter and we yes. were talking about it and yes. it's like don't include native culture if you don't have a native person in your writer's room and don't include an explicitly native character unless you have like a couple a couple yeah. in your writer's room. Yeah. Also from our research like uh the Anukate like <laughs> native cultures are not homogenous. Like the Anukate is very specifically like uh plains like Lakota mm-hmm. um concept yeah and the way that they frame it though it's an ancient god i we don't have time to unpack all All of that that. yeah anyway um okay uh i think that this would have been a good season to bring back cora i'm sure adelaide kane was busy on was she on rain i think so being a queen being a queen congratulations queen i love your tiktoks um but 
I think this would have been a good opportunity to bring back Cora, especially if Derek wasn't going to be here. I need a, a hail. I need one. Yeah. Play the hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I was also kind of like, ah, I wish like, I really wish it was possible to bring back Erica and Boyd, but they killed them so horrifically. And mm-hmm. it's like, not like I haven't, you know, lightly gotten, like, it's not like I'm pining for them in every season, but it feels like such a, like, we need to rally together thing. And you just ditched a bunch of people. Um, well, I mean, that's the problem with like having had a bare bones cast for 6A. Yeah. And then you want to pad it up again for 6B. But and they padded it with strangers. People we don't fucking know. People, and also people I don't really, I'm not interested in. True. Um, okay. This was an unbearable, like, thing to put in a script. Mm. Okay. W- we have been talking about the optics of having Monroe be the leader of this hate group. It's not even really optics. It's also like a really reductive statement. Like it's not achieving any of its goals. But at one point, the sheriff refers to the group of hunters that Monroe is leading as a lynch mob. And I think the idea of a white man in a police uniform saying that to a black woman is horrific. Post Ferguson. Post Ferguson. We are, we are, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is is well underway well underway in 2017 um yeah we kind of had to pause we i heard that i did not remember that being a part of this this season i paused immediately and just was shocked to hear that it is just such a specific word yes you could have just left it at this bloodthirsty mob yeah like yes literally any descriptor that does not immediately evoke racial killings in the united states that word specifically you cannot dissociate that from being hate crimes Mm -hmm. in america um it was just so it's jarring it's like i i cannot believe that and if you are using that to shock me to make you think you're make to make me think you're you're making a good point i'm disappointed in you that was disgusting it just I, i mean but this is this is the entire problem of like putting Monroe at the as the face of this group is that you are automatically putting that in conversation with what it means to be black in America because I don't care how you want to pretend you've set up Beacon Hills it's still in the America that we live in I'm still an American who lives in America yeah so, so um your audience <laughs> your audience is inherently watching with the ex- their lived experiences yeah and oh it's not even mm, mm. yeah Bad. I, I can't. Bad. I don't really want to keep getting into that. I left it for observations because I knew that we were going to have our our conversation earlier. I knew we had a really long conversation later. I don't need to. I shouldn't. I don't have to tell anybody why that that's bad. I don't think I have to. It's twenty twenty one. Uh, if you do, I'm concerned. I don't have to tell any of our listeners. I yeah. have not. Um, and then okay, so the scene um in the bathroom has the most interesting directorial choices in this whole episode. Mm-hmm. It literally like takes place in a different show. Oh, the handheld camera. Yeah. So when we're, we're, it's just like Theo has dragged Liam into the bathroom. We get this low shot under, um, the, sinks. under the sink of them speaking. It then flips to a shaky cam shot, a shot from the door where we're only seeing them in like half. We only really see like half of them. And then another shaky cam look it is so voyeuristic and like 
it it feels like we're meant to think that this is like a really secret meeting that's happening like no one else can know that like Theo and Liam have a relationship outside of what everybody else's relationship to them is I think that that is part of where the framing of like Theum comes from because that scene is treated completely differently mm-hmm. than all of the other ones. And it sets up like a weird tension between like the viewer and watching the, and the two characters in the scene. Yeah. It feels like you get to watch this. Yeah. Like nobody um, else does. Am I supposed to be here? I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I just thought it was really mm-hmm. compelling. I thought that was interesting. We had some really good Tim Andrewisms. There was like a bunch of like quick slow motion, but that I feel like isn't something... I associate with him and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was, I didn't have any like particular comments about this way that about the way the episode looked, um, beyond that particular scene, but I, I thought it was classic teen wolf Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, do you want to give us our pack stats? We got some claws, baby. Uh, yeah. Okay. Weirdly enough, we had five eyes, only two claws. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to say one shirt because, it's a white t- it's a white t-shirt contest at the beginning. Yeah. Um very consistent ads recently, Apple and Nike again. That's how they could afford the bigger cast. <laughs> yeah, you put a Mac on screen and suddenly suddenly there's you've got four extra people. Yeah. Um call central casting. We get 20 extras this episode. Oh crap. Um and we had two sirens and some other minimal interruptions that I don't think showed up. Just some but, si- some city noise. Yeah. Um yeah, I say count the wet t-shirt contest. Cody Christian, you're a very handsome man. And we have that on record. We have it on record. I've said that before. Yeah, we have it on record. Yeah. <laughs> He's just short. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just tall. A king. King. Yeah. Yeah. A short king. Uh, Do you have an alpha of the week? It's a Deaton. A Deaton or a Raphael? Yeah, Raphael. Although Raphael does a really shitty job of like making sure his the people he took into custody make it somewhere. Not only that, but he doesn't go with Scott wherever he's going. Yeah, okay, he needed to be he literally needed to either be the babysitter of the of the the prisoners, the people he arrested or his son. One or the other, but that clearly said, neither. When, when when Matthew Del Negro showed up on screen, I was like, "Raphael is here." Even though I don't like I just, it's not even like I would like him very much. I just think that he does great things for dynamic. Oh, I agree. I wish that he had more of a part. Um, and I know that the whole point is that like Scott doesn't need him and Melissa mm-hmm. doesn't need him. And that's great. But like, I liked it when he was around. Me and too. the parents, um, like, where was Chris in this episode? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I like seeing the parents, as we've said many, many times. Um, not that you have to like him. No, no. Well, I also think, like, we like the parents we have, and they're supportive. And I think throwing in somebody who alters that dynamic and is um, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The sheriff did his best. I mean, he said a bunch of shit that made me go, yikes. But, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to give it to Melissa. I'm sure she was saving lives at the hospital. She was doing her fucking job. An essential worker. Yeah. Love her. Um, I think that about wraps it up. A reminder. I don't think we did it in this episode. I was trying to keep track of all the stuff (laughs) I said. If you are the first person to tweet a bingo at us or DM us Instagram, whatever, wherever you post it, if you're the first person to tell us that you got a bingo on the... Like season six wrap up bingo card, you get to pick the last bonus episode of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. 
it would be an honor whatever you pick i hope it's good but if you pick something bad maybe we deserve it um if you liked this episode you can follow us on uh, Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf, and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. If you really liked this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes, five stars in a review. We'll read it out loud on the pod. If you really, really like this episode, you can buy us coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf, or buy our stickers, redbubble.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. Uh, if you guys have thoughts about 6B and want to share them and want them shared on the podcast, I implore you to DM us or email us. Our email is Teen Wolf Rewolf at Gmail. Um, we would love to have a discussion and be able to give other people's thoughts. Other than that, so many things to end. Yeah, but you I, did it amazingly. I said it so slow this time, though. I really had to pace myself because of how bad the last one was. <laughs> I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo!